0: Welcome to series two of Leading Between the Lines, a podcast from Alteneek-inspired growth with me, Peter Thorpe, as your host. In the coming months, I'll be talking to the people development heads from some of the UK's newest, fastest growing companies and finding out how they go about recruiting, developing and retaining top talent for their business. One thing's for sure, it's very different to even a year ago. My guest today joined this fast-growing company just over two years ago and has worked in various people development roles since then. In her first full year, she recruited 22 people on her own. Her current focus is on setting up a learning and development structure from scratch, which is a big ask. So to find out how she's going about it, it's a pleasure to welcome Alex Anderson from Mouse. Welcome, Alex.
1: Hello, Peter. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Perhaps we could just start by you giving us a bit of context as to um how you've got to the position that you're in now both from your point of view and the company's point of view.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um so just a bit more background on Mouse. So Mouse was founded in 2014 um by four co-founders um all with their expertise in different areas. So we put our first case for iPhone on Indiegogo, the crowdfunding platform, managed to raise $2.5 million in pre-orders. Um, so that was in 2017. And we've really just grown from strength to strength since then. So we're now a team of 76 across the UK and China. Um, and my role has has really been, I guess, quite instrumental in, in achieving that. So I I joined the company in 2019 as people operations manager. But my role really was to build the talent function from scratch. So prior to me joining, there was no infrastructure, I guess, internally. All recruitment was outsourced. um, And internal, I guess, methods and processes weren't formulated. Um, So that was my kind of first year, uh, defining that and hiring like crazy.
0: (laughs) So with the hiring piece that you did that was really trying to get hold of quite a lot of talent in quite a short period of time in a fast-growing environment so it's easy to say but much harder to do how did you go about that
1: yeah I think it was a huge learning curve for me uh prior to mouse I was in graduate recruitment and had only been in graduate recruitment for a year uh so it was yeah a big challenge and I was recruiting for roles I'd never never recruited for before so creative roles engineers I just really did a lot of research um leveraged contacts that I had or been introduced to by co-founders um or um others within the business um and just kind of really worked hard and a lot of outreach because you weren't getting a lot of organic applications at that point. So it was very much headhunting for most roles really. Um, So yeah, perseverance, (laughs) I'd say.
0: So if you'd worked previously in graduate recruitment, you'd be used to assessment centres and a very structured approach to recruitment. Um, But you wouldn't have had that when you started recruiting at Mouse, as you were saying. So what were you actually doing? Was this just one interview and you're in, or was it more scientific than that? What structure and processes did you have to put in place to make sure, really, that it was not a calamity?
1: Yeah. (laughs) So it was defining the process from the ground up. So first kind of video interview with me, we then did psychometric tests, which actually were in place before I joined, uh, but kind of leveraging them differently kind of maximizing the value that we gain from them Um, it would then be an interview with hiring manager and one other with a task um, and that was kind of the end it would normally be a call with the CEO I've really iterated on that since then but that was the process and at that point I had no ATS system. So it was all on Google Sheets. It makes me laugh so much now. Uh, All of the candidate management was on Google Sheets, which, as you can imagine, was a lot of admin. Uh, I had to be super organized. um, And it it was interesting looking back.
0: (laughs) What were the psychometric tests that you were using? Were they personality based or ability based or, or a bit of both?
1: Yeah, so we still use them now, actually. Um, they're by SHL, which is quite a, a well-known provider of psychometric tests. Yeah. Um, and the tests we use are called Verify um plus, And they are essentially numerical reasoning, deductive reasoning and inductive reasoning. Now, we don't use them for every single role. Um, bar It's kind of our creative roles, we use a different method of testing or interviewing. But for Virtually every other role, uh, we we use SHL, and just find that it's a a really strong predictor of of performance in the role in the job. Um, and we use that now with tasks that candidates would likely face, or kind of situations that candidates would face in their role as well. I think that's another important thing to to use to assess people fairly.
0: So if you're using ability tests, basically to test what people have got between the ears, um, do you preset a bar before they go into those tests so they need to score above a certain level to be in?
1: So SHL have set a uh, a percentile that indicates a high performer, basically, which is is the 33rd percentile. So anything above that, is is a pass essentially um that's that's how we that's how we do it
0: so uh, alongside those then you had video interview with yourself mm-hmm. is that a competency-based interview or how do you structure those interviews
1: yeah so again they've evolved quite a lot over the years um we, I will always start and and I now have a direct report Mel who who's now taking over video interviewing but we'll always start with uh, an intro to Mouse who are we why are we here um, I think because our employer brand isn't that evolved and we're obviously not a, a very well-known corporate it's important to give some more <laughs> to the candidate and I think interview should always be a, a two-way conversation anyway. Uh, so starting with that. And then we use performance-based hiring. So we look for examples of where candidates have faced similar situations in previous roles and whether they can give examples of that. That's the method that we use.
0: So it's, it's evidence-based interviewing. And, and how do you go about scoring them? So you have the video conversation. Do you go back afterwards and relook at the video to, to measure their competence in that?
1: So we we now do have an ATS system, luckily. Um, You mentioned that
0: before, but I don't know what it is. What's an ATS?
1: An an applicant tracking system. Ah,
0: So essentially to manage
1: every stage of the hiring process. Apologies for using that acronym. Um, So Mel will take notes throughout the interview, and that's all in the system as well. At the end of the call, she will then score according to a hiring scorecard that we have, uh, which is, seven levels uh, for various kind of areas so technical knowledge enthusiasm for the role things like that and she'll score them at the end and that sits on on our um, applicant tracking system for future reference
0: okay so your job now um and your focus for this year is to basically set up a learning and development structure from scratch which as i said in the intro it's a big ask so um How have you broken that down into bite-sized chunks?
1: Yes, it is a big ask, but an exciting ask. Uh, So we had our uh, employee, our annual or biannual, should I say, employee engagement survey at the start of the year. Um, That's actually the first time we've done a formal engagement survey. Um, We use a system called Leapsum for that, which is a performance management and engagement system. It's got some incredible analytics on it. From that engagement survey, what really came out as the strongest themes or focus areas for me were management development and feedback in terms of L&D. So they are my main focuses for these this year, um, with some kind of smaller L&D quick wins along the way. So with everything I'm doing at Mouse, I'm doing so using the framework of EACH, which is created by Lucy Adams. She was um, HR director at BBC. So EACH is a model for essentially treating employees like adults consumers and human beings so to give an example of how this operates at mouse um treating employees like adults means teaching each other so we we have such an incredible team of talented individuals at mouse and a real breadth of skills and expertise. And one thing I really um I recently launched in terms of LD was to classes, so like master classes, um, which are skill sharing sessions. Um, and these are for mouse people, but they're driven by mouse people. Um, so we're starting off with a focus on the the core skills that we really want everyone to be able to nail in their day-to-day roles. So, like time management, prioritization, and project management, and employees volunteer to run a session on the skills they feel strongest in. Um, the format's completely up to the employee. It could be a QA, a brainstorming session, or a presentation. Um, but yeah, we've we've got our first one tomorrow, and I'm really excited about that. Um, but coming back to the each model, skill sh- sessions aren't mandatory, um, we're not forcing kind of people to attend and I think that's where historically l programs have potentially gone or, or could have been delivered better, I think not kind of forcing people to do learning maybe um, But yeah we've got we've got a strong attendance for our first session tomorrow um and i've also reached out to our investors so we're we're backed by private equity um and trying to facilitate these skills sharing sessions across other brands within the portfolio as well i think that would be really beneficial for the team
0: one or two people in your position who i've spoken to recently alex um who are doing similar roles with similar fast-growing companies are adopting uh, the same type of approach, which is skills learning is not mandatory, and that's okay. But uh, playing devil's advocate, what happens if somebody needs to upskill but they don't want to do it? Where where does performance management sit into all this, and where does the management of your staff to make sure you achieve the right the right business goals sit into it? Because you know learning's not an option, is it really?
1: No, I think that's that's a really good point. And the way that we structure performance management and development at ma- uh, Mouse is that we do keep them, them separate. I think they are different things. They obviously uh, need to coincide, but we do keep them separately. So I think with things like reviews, um, we separate those conversations from things like compensation. So we have a compensation conversation about a month after that, meeting, understanding that the employee that's focused on reward or yeah, kind of pay is not one that listens to development, for example. Um anyway, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent there. Um
0: <laughs> well no, no, but I'm just gonna ask you this. Surely the two are inextricably linked because if I'm working in your company, I don't want to get paid more, I probably need to learn more to be better at something. Absolutely. So are, are they not just directly linked, development and pay?
1: They are performance and pay, I would say yes. Um and I'm I'm not saying that development isn't linked to pay, but it's saying that when we have these review meetings, we're coming in thinking, right, what am I going to get paid? How much am I going to get? How much more am I going to get? What's my title going to be? Not sitting there thinking, right, what can I learn from this conversation? What is my manager telling me I need to develop on? What are my strengths? What are my areas for development? Kind of looking at the review conversation with that lens, as opposed to how much money we can get and that kind of being the focus. So the reason that we've split that conversation from the compensation conversation is to yeah, basically try and get employees to focus more on listening to the feedback. They are linked you're right. I'm not I'm not denying that.
0: So who's responsible for the development of your staff? Is it the line manager?
1: I guess it's it's both the line manager and the employee. Um we are really trying to put development in into the hands of the employee so with personal development plans the employee is the one filling them out then booking in the meeting with the line manager to discuss it but we want people at mouse to want to learn and want to develop and I think at a startup in particular when there isn't the the kind of flashy programs and uh, yeah, I guess the the amount of L and D available to you maybe in a corporate, there isn't there isn't that necessarily available at a startup. So you do have to be very proactive and a lot of it is learning on the job, but I think there are ways that you can be clever about it. But I think everyone at Mouse is understanding of the fact that they do need to own their own learning.
0: Uh, you've hit the nail on the head there I think Alex because if you look at um, other companies like John Lewis, Marks and Spencers, Argos, I don't know any huge, Sainsbury's, any huge company that's been around a long time mm. they don't traditionally operate the system for LD that you're putting in place mm. and there would be a number of reasons for that I guess wouldn't there? One would be they're much more structured, two would be the budgets and the resource they've had. Yeah. So to what extent uh, are you putting into place something that's dictated to by the amount of resource, both human and financial, that's available to you?
1: Um, yeah, I think they're they're naturally as a well, I've got my director, Port Mel, but she's very much focused on recruitment. So as I guess a a a people person or people team of one in the kind of traditional sense, excluding talent. Um I don't have infinite capacity and there are a lot of things that I would love to do that maybe I don't have the time to do. Um, and of course, there are financial um, limitations purely because we are a growing business. And and like you said, we don't have the I'm not going to have the same budget as John Lewis, for example. Um, but there is a lot of newer research on l that shows for example, we learn 70% experientially, 20% socially, 10% formally. So 90% of how we grow and develop is what we do in our roles, rather than being kind of taught in the classic way. Um, and I think the default has always been the structured classroom training types, but not focusing on kind of individual needs. And the fact that not everyone learns in the same way, some people learn better at night, some people learn better in the morning. And kind of putting a very rigid learning and development programme in front of people um, is maybe not always the the right way to go.
0: So um, if you've got 90% of learning being done experientially, that says to me that the real key to that is going to be the coaching that people receive mm-hmm. on job coaching. Mm-hmm. Now, is that going to come or are you expecting it to come from line managers or do you have a separate coaching function that gets amongst it with your people?
1: So that would definitely be something that we'd expect from our line managers. And as I said, part of my focus this year on l is management development. We we have a lot of managers at Mouse that are first-time managers and really, really want to do their best but maybe don't know exactly how. Um, so at the moment, I am in the process of, of working out as i said what's going to suit individuals um and maybe not opting for the the classroom style method i think giving people the tools and resources they need to learn and kind of saying look we are giving you this but it's up to you how you how you take it how you uh, engage with it um i think can go a long way um but i'm i'm i've got a workshop this week with um, some line managers that have kindly volunteered to ask questions like what do they want from line management training? Where are they struggling at the moment? What do they really want to nail? And I think speaking to your line managers and actually finding out where the key issues lie is very important as well before kicking anything off.
0: (laughs) And you're looking at that quite rightly from an L&D point of view, but there must also be an angle from the... um, other side of the business the results oriented side of the business that must be telling you we need our managers to do this so you can ask them and that's great and you'll get some really valuable information back but there's also a requirement from managers to to achieve certain things isn't there
1: oh no absolutely and i think part of what i create as a result of of this workshop needs to have needs to be aligned with the business strategy what the business needs Um, Absolutely. Um, I think it's just understanding how I can deliver that in the most effective way. Um, and, and to do that, I do need to have the insight from, from the line managers themselves, really.
0: What are you expecting or, or what do you know so far that they'd like to see in the, in
1: the toolbox? I, I'm not actually sure yet, purely because I, I need to do this um, focus group, but yeah. I... I think there will be a lot of people that do kind of think, ah, I need formal training. I need a really structured program to be able to succeed. And I'm gonna kind of be there challenging <laughs> that rightly or wrongly. Um I think that definitely has its place, but I think in a startup where there are more limitations around budget and resource, there are ways that you can do it more effectively. And um as I said, the Appeals more to the individual is more effective on an individual basis. But no, I'm not sure what they're going to say yet. Uh, but I can I can keep you posted.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, no that'd be really good. And and I guess there's um, a place for some formal training of managers to enable them to then work less formally with their teams. But they'll need to have, won't they, somewhere along the line, the skills to be able to work effectively. Either formally or informally with their teams.
1: Yes, no, totally, and and that's it. It's really important that I do management development with the team um, in some capacity, especially when we we obviously do have expectations of our line managers. We want to nurture the team, nurture their growth. Um, there do need to be expectations in place. Um, it's just how I go about facilitating that.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. When I spoke to you a couple of weeks ago um, in preparation for this podcast um I wrote down something that you said uh, and that was quote I've done some things I'm really excited about unquote and I wrote down make sure you ask Alex about those <laughs> so talk to us about some of these things that have really excited you that you've done in the last couple of years at mouse
1: yeah so I I think the the skills sharing sharing sessions although they're not a huge uh, it's not a huge project. I'm really excited to see the results of that because that's kind of the first bit of LND, uh, or kind of the first LND quick win that I think I'll I'll have. <laughs> um the next thing that I'm I'm really excited about implementing is, is tackling the issue of feedback. Um so this came up as a real opportunity for us in our engagement survey. Um and employees have basically said that they don't feel that they're receiving enough feedback I think that because at mouse we are quite there is quite a family feel we are very um there are relationships that are are friendships we don't want to upset each other we want to be kind um but understanding that not giving feedback isn't necessarily kind it's nice but not kind um so I guess the first thing I'm, I'm gonna tackle in this area is bringing in a framework for giving feedback. And I don't know whether you've heard of radical candor, Peter.
0: Um, well, I have, but I'm not sure all our listeners will. So I'm certainly <laughs> going to ask you to explain it.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so radical candor is a way of building trust with others, essentially, um, in order to give feedback that's delivered and received um, for the desired outcome, which is hopefully to help someone develop. Um, And the framework was developed by Kim Scott and she's had a lot of experience working in kind of big Silicon Valley firms and uh, what she means by radical candor is to care personally and challenge directly so care personally means to give a damn basically about, um, the people in your team, the people in your business and really be your authentic self and be vulnerable sometimes. And then challenging directly means not shying away from delivering hard feedback and maybe not being afraid to piss people off. I think initially, not that that would be your intention, but, uh, yeah. So when you combine the two, you build trust with others and you allow for conversations that really achieve the results that you're aiming for um so to facilitate radical candor we're also launching 360 reviews um and we also have a tool on our software like Leapson that like i mentioned before which is like an instant feedback tool um essentially that allows you to request feedback from anyone in the business and give feedback to everyone in the business um, and it's by no means a substitute for direct in-person feedback but Leapsome have actually found that it encourages more face-to-face feedback. Um, It could be private or public, but essentially the ongoing feedback via the system builds up a skills profile for individuals. Um, And again, that's just another way to help nurture their own development, um, assess where their strengths and development areas are, but get another source of data. Essentially, it's not just what your manager is saying, it's what your peers are saying. Um, And that's something that I know the team are really looking for.
0: So the values that that is representing the the caring and giving straight feedback and accepting it in the spirit that it's meant, how does that fit into the values of Mouse as a company? Do you have a published set of values?
1: We do have values. Um, they interesting that you said that, Peter. That is something that I'm going to tackle this year as part of my roadmap that's a q3 project <laughs> but no we do have values um at the moment but they were coined at the very beginning of the business and i think that they our values have evolved then as the business has evolved so i feel like they need a bit of tweaking but i guess in terms of the values that i think feedback ties in with and and these processes I'm going to hopefully implement um one of our values is to be your your best self and that means leading by example being a team player so collaborating with others being supportive of others um being a person that others can rely on and, and seeking to understand first so I think they they can all be factored into the feedback piece but yeah it's going to be an interesting one because I think we are all a bit apprehensive about giving Uh, feedback that isn't praise Um, and not everyone knows how to ask for feedback if they're not getting it so yeah really really excited to tackle that
0: let's move on to mental health because I know that mental health um, as a subject is very important to you isn't it
1: yes it is very important to me
0: and tell us why particularly it's important to you
1: I actually ex- I've expe- I've got lived experience of mental health issues. I um left uni at 17 due to struggles with depression and anxiety. I was very very unwell, um kind of housebound for months. Not a good time in my life. I then went back to uni but went locally. Um and uni was definitely not the experience um for me that a lot of people have it wasn't going out drinking it wasn't partying it was really really hard um and kind of just focused on can i get through this can i actually complete my degree um i did complete my degree and i got a first which uh was incredible achievement i think for me something that i'm i'm really really proud of yeah mental health talking about mental health being open about it is very important to me um i always remember uh, well I said it to my mum I don't think I remembered saying it at the time but saying I don't want you to be ashamed of me I think I had my misconceptions around people that suffered with depression and I, I didn't really know that much about mental health before I suffered with it myself and I just remember her saying me saying that to her and from then on she she would just speak about it She was just so open about it, and the amount of people that have been open back and come to her for support or advice um, is just incredible, really. So yes, I am a big advocate for being open about it.
0: What's the age profile of the employees at Mouse?
1: We are—I'd say our average age is probably twenty-seven-ish. So quite a, yeah, relatively young (laughs) workforce.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, As is typical with lots of fast growing new companies.
1: Mm,
0: mm. Um, And this year has highlighted, or 2020, last year now has highlighted hugely, hasn't it, mental health. There's not any of us that haven't been touched on a mental health basis by what's happened. Mm. And mental health in the workplace now is becoming far more acceptable and needed and mandatory Mm -hmm. to some extent. Mm -hmm. But Mm. it seems thank goodness we've gone away now for someone's got a mental health problem quick get them to a therapist Mm. that now mental health is an environment we all have mental health every day every minute of every day Um, and we're all on that mental health spectrum yes Uh, and I'm guessing particularly with your own experience that's how you view it and what are you doing within the workplace to make sure people if they have difficulties just like you had We've got a place to come and share it and, and work with it.
1: Yeah, I think what has has really helped foster a culture of caring about mental health and, and being open about mental health is that I have been very open about it. Um, we've got an employee assistance program. Uh, we use Health Assured, which is fantastic. That offers twenty four seven helpline um, and up to eight sessions of cognitive behavioural therapy per issue per year for each employee I think there's potentially a bit of worry around employee assistance programs sometimes I think people think that we can see who's using them or we can find out what people are talking about and which absolutely isn't the case and I really wanted to encourage people to use it if they needed to so I've been very open in saying that I've now used it twice I've had um so I've had the full set of two um well, sorry full set of cbt sessions and have have just been open about my experience with it and that's led to other employees kind of coming to me asking questions around it and then i think going on to try it out and i think had i not been so open about using it and it benefiting me i don't know how many people would have tried it maybe
0: absolutely irrespective of you being in the in the people business just being open about it mm. and speaking about your experiences can only encourage others to to use it and, yeah. and take a punt on it if they're if they're at all apprehensive, can't it?
1: Yeah. And I think there's other things that I'll always uh make a a point of, of celebrating things like World Mental Health Day or Stress Awareness Week, things like that. Organising activities around that and really um I guess yeah acknowledging the day and getting people to talk one thing that I have started recently is just mental health chats really um again not mandatory there's not a huge turnout but every couple of weeks a few of us will will meet on teams (laughs) of course um and just check in with each other and just talk about mental health and that stemmed from me actually sharing a a webinar from a charity that I volunteer with MQ um yeah so that that started that um but I hope that helps people
0: <laughs> what do you do for MQ with your volunteering
1: yeah so I only started volunteering with MQ in November but since then I've I've done a fair bit so I was part of a, a group of people that assessed and basically evaluated one of their recent campaign launches so just kind of gave my perspective did I think the words were appropriate how did the words make me feel things like that um, and then something that I'm doing very soon which I'm very excited about is I'm going to host a focus group for young people that have participated in a uh, study on man- uh, mental health during the pandemic so it's run by King's College London um, the participants of all completed a questionnaire and I'm running a focus group to just facilitate discussion around the questionnaire what do they think of it um so yeah very very much looking forward to doing that
0: Uh, and you're doing a lot of caring whether it's at work or outside of work but as the phrase goes who cares for the carer where do you get your emotional support from I know you're reporting to one of the co-founders at work so we'll forget that um, I'm not going to ask you about your relationship <laughs> there although I believe it's very positive but outside yes, of that your your whole support structure where's that coming from
1: yep so as I said I believe you need to be very proactive about your own development if you're working in a startup or SME um, but I found some really great ways to really enhance my own learning. Um, so the the first one for me is is joining communities of people in your profession. So um, as I said, I'm a member of several Slack groups for people professionals, and I, I genuinely don't know where I'd be without them. So I regularly post questions to my peers, answer questions for others, and participate in roundtable discussions on specific topics. So for example, the last one that I attended was on people analytics and people metrics. What do people track? What do people focus on and they're just so valuable um so I, I definitely recommend doing that um and then as a result of joining these communities I've built up a network of peers that I speak to regularly and one of my mentors which I'll come on into <laughs> come on to in a minute um told me to really make time for my network so this year I set myself the goal of having at least one virtual coffee a month with a person in my network um booking that in and obviously making sure that I attend it, and again, such a great source of learning, just benchmarking yourself against other businesses, other people, um, and hopefully I've helped others with their learning too, um, and then final one for me is to get a mentor, or get a few mentors, um, so as, as you know, I've I'm reporting into the CEO, uh, sorry, COO, um, who is amazing, but he's not a people expert, and he won't mind me saying that. Um, so yeah, I've developed so much by leveraging the insight I've gained from sessions with my mentors, and I've tried to make sure that I've got mentors with different skill sets, different experiences um, that can help me in, in basically different areas of my of my learning. Um, so yeah, they would be my, I guess, tips if, if anyone's looking to get more support. That's how I learn.
0: Coming to the end of this podcast now, what would you like to have achieved in 12 months' time? And more importantly, how would you like to be feeling as a human being in 12 months' time uh, in terms of growth and where you're going on from there?
1: Oh, okay. Great questions. So in 12 months' time, I would like to have built a highly effective management development program in some capacity. Um, I'd like to start to work towards building a a feedback culture. So using Radical Candor, using the Leapsome tool, 360 reviews up and running and working well. Um, There's a big systems and processes project that I'm also gonna tackle. Um, Another thing that came up in our engagement survey. So are the processes we're using internally, as effective as they could be um what tools do we need what tools don't we need um and then completely um redefining our values rolling them out and embedding them into a lot of the processes that we have at mouse um yes and then some just smaller lnd quick wins along the way <laughs> sprinkled in between <laughs>
0: And the, the bit you've missed out is the really important bit about how would you like to have sort of personally yes, sorry. developed? Sorry, I can't let you go away with that. Can I, Alex?
1: I think, um, oh, I, that's a really hard, Why am I struggling so much with that question? Because everybody I does. I think <laughs> in a year's time. Well, of course, I don't think I'd be a a people person if I didn't. I've got my own personal development plan. I've got very clear aims and objectives in that that I want to achieve. So ticking them off. Um, I'm studying my um, CIPD level seven diploma at the moment. That's a two year course, so I'll only be about a year in by then. But I think getting my way through that with some good good marks would be great. Um, but I think just really. Becoming a lot more confident in myself and what I can deliver. Less imposter syndrome uh, would be great. I'm not not saying that I think that's going to go completely. (laughs) Um, And continuing to build my network and and continue to help others, really. Um, I'd say that.
0: Well, what a lovely aim. Alex Anderson, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. You Uh, You've got a huge amount of talent and Mouse are very lucky to have you. I wish you every success and thank you for your time today.
1: Thank you so much, Peter. Thanks.
0: If you've enjoyed today's episode and are interested in seeing and listening to more of our content, please do follow us on our LinkedIn profile, where you'll find more industry related material and articles. We'll be back next Thursday with another episode and look forward to you joining us then.